The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now it's time for our Ask the Expert slot. This morning we're focusing on vision impairments and our guest has promised that he will try to answer as many questions as is possible and given his experience of uh, being on the show before that may be a handful because it tends to be a lot that comes in. Um, he is of course Dr. Arthur Cummins who is Medical Director and Consultant Ophthalmologist opth- <laughs> You said Arthur. <laughs> Ophthalmologist. Thank you very much. At the Wellington Eye Clinic you're very welcome to the show. Thank you Anton. Before we get into the Q&A you have interesting research findings and interesting data in respect of gaming and the impact it has on our vision. It's so interesting, Anton. I certainly learned something. I'm working with a company that have, over the the last few years, been having you wear a device on your spectacles prior to the lens surgery or prior to getting glasses. And this device measures your visual behavior, the distances you work at, your head position, the ambient light, this type of thing, and is then designed to help you choose the most appropriate lens for your spectacles or your, your lens implant. And what they've recently done is they've pivoted into the gaming world. And I sort of thought, how come? What, how does this work? And so they brought me up to speed. And subsequent to them bringing me up to speed, there was a podcast last week on the, not the podcast, the webinar, by The Economist. So I listened to this. So gaming is fascinating. Gaming now has greater revenues than cinema, music, and online streaming combined. And 3.3 billion people participate every week. Now, what I learned about gaming is that it's not only what's happening on a a PlayStation or an Xbox or one of these, but it's also gaming on our phones like Candy Crush and Wordle, these types of things. So the first thing I thought was, knowing what the negative effects have been from too much screen time on dry eye and on progressive myopia, is that all the news would be negative. But amazingly, it's not. It's a very big industry. There are a lot of people making money from it, from gaming. It's become commercialized and incentivized. But what's interesting is that people who game, kids who game, tend to spend a lot less time on social media. And when you compare the two activities, gaming, which is interactive and, you know, a two-way street, versus social media that's really just looking at other commentary, from a psychological point of view and a mental health point of view, gaming is actually a lot healthier. So if I had small children now, I think before this, I would have been concerned about them spending too much time gaming. But now it sort of changes our minds. And what about the eyesight implications? I would have thought we, we were all told that if you sit in front of the TV too long, you'll get square eyes and your eyesight will go. Is the same true with gaming? <laughs> so the eyesight implications are mostly for screens that are closer to you, like your phone or a computer screen. But when the screen's slightly further away, where you're not focusing intently, then it, it makes more sense. There's one thing that closes the loop, which is fascinating, is most... Um, ophthalmological colleges around the world now, as part of their training, before you start doing surgery as a trainee, is you start doing surgery on a simulator. And what they've shown very well in multiple peer-reviewed publications is that those who played games are actually better surgeons, believe it or not. Well, that's fascinating because the same is true in sport. A lot of the the modern F1 drivers have been able to arrive sight unseen to new tracks that they've never driven before and be competitive because they gamed them as they were growing up and are therefore familiar with the tracks before they ever get them. When you're doing simulated surgery in that, is there a cadaver involved or is it entirely a virtual surgery? No, it's entirely virtual. Entirely virtual. If you are dispelling, therefore, the the sort of old wives' tale that any screen time is implicitly bad for your eyesight, what are the other myths around eyesight that people most commonly get wrong, either positively or negatively? One of the most interesting ones in my field anyway is that laser wears off. 
So if you correct someone who's 20 years old and you correct their vision for distance vision and they maintain that for life, but they start requiring reading glasses in the mid-40s, people often think that means laser wore off, but it's not. It's just a normal aging process. So sometimes laser does regress a little bit, but for the massive majority, it's very stable. And do you, when you are planning a laser surgery, do you plan for the degradation of eyesight in later years? Does it influence the surgery you do when someone is younger? That's a great question. So for, for younger people, we have the conversation and the massive majority say, look, I just want to say as well as I can now, when I hit the mid-40s, which people think is old when you're 20 years old, <laughs> when you hit the mid-40s, then we can address the reading vision. But someone who's approaching the mid-40s, we would have that exact conversation. If you correct both eyes for distance, you're going to find you need reading glasses pretty shortly. So if you want to, um, you know, circumvent that, how are we going to do it? And then, then we decide on how much we're going to correct the second eye for reading. So you've got this compromise with one eye is better for distance, one eye is better for near. Pat has it, and Pat's had it for, for years. And does the brain line the two up together and give you a common image? The brain can adapt to the fact that both eyes don't see the same? It's exactly right. So it does for the massive majority of people. There's a small percentage where it doesn't work, which we can assess this before the time. But you've hit a very, very good point, is everything about vision is sitting in the brain, the perception anyway. One of the other common myths you, you asked is lazy eye. I've been telling people over the years that once you're an adult with a lazy eye, well, there's not much we can do. Um, that's been changed around completely. There's sort of three or four companies in the space now that are helping the brain accept the information from a lazy eye again, just through visual training. Incredible. Does that mean then that if you have a lazy eye, you end up with one eye dominant? I always assumed that the brain took from both that just didn't get as accurate an image from one. You're right. So anyone has a dominant eye, but the second eye is just behind it. It's always there. It's almost always on. The only time it's not on is when there's a small misalignment issue and then the dominant eye persists. But with a lazy eye, the easiest way to explain that is the dominant eye has sort of got a 5G connection to the brain, and the non-dominant eye or the lazy eye has got a 3G or a dial-up connection to the brain. Do they alternate? Does one? Can you swap dominance between the lazy eye and the other one? That's an amazing question. So normally you can't. But what, what people are showing now with some very interesting devices is that in the course of a day, for someone who's got, is, is really binocular, both eyes are functioning well, as the day progresses your dominance can change multiple times depending on what you're doing. Yeah, so it's fascinating. The brain is just an un undiscovered space still. There's a text relating to that that says, my dad has had a lazy eye since childhood. He has been doing the Binox treatment but hasn't had much result yet. Are there any other developments in correcting lazy eye in adults? And he's in his early 70s. And by the way, can I ask, is there a proper medical term for lazy eye? Is it, is it acceptable to call it that? Everyone calls it lazy eye but the technical term is amblyopia. And then you get different kinds of amblyopia. So for the caller... You get different kinds of amblyopia. And of all the treatments now for lazy eye or for amblyopia, the only one that's shown to work in adults is Binox. So your father's on a good program. It takes six weeks to, to get to the end of the program. And in the first 10 days, it's just about lifting the suppression on, on the lazy eye. And then after the 10 days, then you start developing binocularity. But the success is much bigger when the reason for the lazy eye is having always had one eye, a different power to the other one. So one eye plus one eye, plus three. The plus one eye is going to be the dominant eye, the plus three is going to be the lazy eye. If the lazy eye comes from a squint, then it can be a lot more challenging. But my and, and is, Binox a, is, is Binox a medical or surgical intervention or is it a rehab? Is it a physical it's a digital exercise? In, it's a digital intervention. So you do it remotely in your own home, on a screen, half an hour a day, five days a week for six weeks. And, the, and f at some of the times, there's an optometrist on the far end who's remote, who's in a different country. And it gradually draws the eye into alignment. It's so clever the way it does it. No, not into alignment, 
into the brain, developing the, the slow dial-up connection to a 4G connection. And what does that do in cosmetic terms? Because with a, with a lazy eye, you, do, you tend to have non-parallel lining of the eyes. Do they come back to parallel? Well, Anton, you've got a very good knowledge of this. So, so lazy eye can come from a number of things. One is the difference between the two eyes or a misalignment issue. Now, when the misalignment issue is too big, then you've first got to correct the misalignment issue. But that doesn't correct the 3G connection. So then you have to do Binox too. So Binox will only correct the alignment issue if it's a very small misalignment issue. And the alignment is corrected surgically, is that if you wish to? Yes. A text saying, one of my eyes is getting bloodshot on occasion, but not sore and not tired. This has only started happening recently. Why and what is it? So normally it's nothing to worry about, but the most common reasons, if there's a reason, would be dry eye or just check your blood pressure or maybe just have your GP check your clotting. Make sure you're not bruising too easily. So those would be the main ones. Uh, another asking, and this goes to the, the, I suppose, the myths around eyesight. Does wearing your glasses more make your eyesight continue to deteriorate? No, it's actually the opposite. So if you wear your glasses consistently, you're less, in, you're less inclined to change. Here's how it works. It's back to the brain again. So if you wear your glasses all the time, you're always in focus if the glasses are properly prescribed. And so the brain has no need to change anything. But if you have your glasses on and off intermittently, whenever they're not on, you have a blur. And then the brain figures, how do I, how do I affect this? And with myopia, which is the new pandemic before COVID came, this was the, the WHO's pandemic, the global pandemic of myopia. The way it's increasing is phenomenal, especially in Asia. So whenever you don't have your glasses on, you're seeing a blur. So the brain figures, how can I address this? The only thing the brain can do is increase the length of the eye. The average eye is about 24 millimeters long. And for every millimeter that it increases, you change by three diopters. So someone who's minus three becomes minus six with a one minute increase in length. And how does the brain change the length? You, you Releasing growth hormone. And that's why we sometimes see um, people's vision change during pregnancy. When, and, and during teenage years, you sort of become... Um, myopic when you're, when you're growing. So hang on, so the brain, because it can't properly determine the image, it will secrete a growth hormone and change the physical shape of the eye? Not for everyone. You need a few things to be happening. Some of the things you need to be happening is a lot of accommodation, so that's you focusing up close on screens. Not enough vitamin D and sunshine, so you need that too. So vitamin D is shown to be um, something that can stabilise um, ocular length growth, actual length growth. Uh, text saying I had a trial implant for reading not laser I have a slight bl- blur recently over one eye is that normal? If it's very new in the whole process it's completely normal it's just as your brain's adjusting so the first six weeks we call it conflict as the brain's trying to figure out which eye is doing what and then it starts blending over time if it's an implant in one eye that started becoming blurry and it's an implant then it could be nothing more than what's called posterior capsular pacification and a laser fixes that in, in a minute We have a series of questions relating to Floaters. In treating uh, with steroids, I have been left with foggy sight, increased floaters. Will the fog go away? It's really bothering me. And another along the same lines, um, how to deal with very dense floaters in the eye. Now, this is apparitions in front of the eye. Exactly right. So first of all, in the person who's been on steroids, steroids don't normally impact floaters. And if they do, they impact them positively. So that um, caller needs to really go and have a check and see if they haven't developed a cataract. So steroids are associated with cataract and maybe with increasing the pressure within the eye. And then floaters are nothing more than particles or fibers or fibrils within the gel of the eye. And you can't see them. It's incredibly dark inside your eye. So you can't see them, but you see the shadow that they cast. And that's why you tend to see them when you're looking at a white screen or a blue sky or a gray sky. Anything with a uniform background is when you tend to see them. 
And what happens over time is the jelly inside the eye comes loose and moves further forward. And as it is close to the back of the eye, it casts a real shadow. And as it moves forward, the shadow starts disappearing. So over time, it tends to disappear. Now, if it doesn't, and it is very bothersome, which it can be, then there are two procedures you can do. One is called a vitreolysis, which is a laser that can break the floaters up into smaller, into smaller bits. Um, and the other one is removing the jelly, and that's called a, a posterior vitrectomy. But you'd have to, in both cases, speak to a, a retinal specialist. If you remove the jelly, is there some kind of synthetic replacement that you use? No, that's another very good question again. It's the same fluid that fills the front of your eye, then fills the back of your eye. So currently the eye is filled with like water in, in the front part and this gel in the back. But once the gel is removed, the gel in the adult has almost no um, use except to keep retinal surgeons busy. <laughs> it's a bit like an appendix. You know, your appendix, what does it do? It just keeps surgeons busy. Um, for a child, it's very important when the eye is very small and it gives it, it, gives it structure. And, but as we get older, the white of the eye becomes a lot stronger. You don't need the gel anymore. It just causes trouble. You mentioned that myopia pre COVID was the major significant global pandemic. Why? So the World Health Organization on their website had this as the biggest thing that they were concerned about. And the biggest reason this is becoming so ubiquitous is because of screen time, not enough sunshine, kids spending too much time inside. So the same company that in the, got me into the game or got me thinking about gaming, they've got an amazing strategy to, in fact, while you're playing games to address these issues, changing the lighting in the game, changing the distance you're looking at. And why it's becoming so is by 2050, half the world's population is myopic, of which 10% are highly myopic, and the biggest cause of blindness is the, the end result of the macular changes from high myopia. Arthur, fascinating as always, that is Dr. Arthur Cummins, who is a medical director and consultant ophthalmologist at the Wellington Eye Clinic. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.